0: You are listening to the Human Care podcast, part of the Invisible Not Broken podcast network. I'm your host, Eva Minkoff. This podcast features conversations with health entrepreneurs, care professionals, patient advocates, and industry change makers. What do they all have in common? The mission to humanize health care. In every episode, we offer unique stories paired with education, actionable tips, tricks, and takeaways, all to help you better navigate healthcare and transform it into human care. My guest is uh, Lauren Cornegay, and she is the founder and executive director of Endo Black. She was diagnosed with endometriosis 10 years ago. And like most with endo, Lauren experienced the pain, struggles, exhaustion, and lots of confusion accompanying the disorder. And for those of you who don't know what endometriosis is, this is very important. Uh, So endometriosis, often called endo is a common health disease that affects 11% of American women between the ages of 14 or 15 and 44. Uh, And endometriosis happens to be when the tissue grows outside of the uterus and other areas, such as the ovaries, fallopian tubes, bowel, bladder, and everything in that area. Uh, And unfortunately, it's very tough to get diagnosed with. And on average, it takes six to 10 years to be diagnosed. But as for the African-American community and women of color, it may take 11 to 15 years for a diagnosis. I actually know someone it took 20 years for them to be diagnosed, which is just insane. Ugh. So for, in case you guys don't know someone personally with endometriosis, you may know actresses Tia Mowry and Whoopi Goldberg, also singer Monica. These are just a a few of the celebrities who've been very candid about their endo diagnoses, but despite the growing number of celebrities speaking out, the platform for everyday women of color to share their stories isn't as prevalent, which is why Lauren decided to create Endo Black in 2015, which is a community dedicated to offering support and raising awareness about endometriosis specifically among black women.
1: Well, first, let me say thank you so much For sharing your platform and allowing me to come and speak about such a near and dear cause to my life, to what I do. Um, It means a lot to me to be able to share this information. Hopefully, I'll answer some questions for some people that may just be pondering about how endometriosis affects us. Um, So, like you said, I was diagnosed uh, 10 years ago, March 18th, to be exact it's so crazy that that is actually 10 years ago. No, I do not feel old because of that. (laughs) However, (laughs) um, I was diagnosed. I never knew that this was going on with my body. A lot of people say, well, you know, how did you know? Like, how were the symptoms? I just did not know. I knew something was wrong. But, you know, going back to when I first started my cycle, when I was 12 years old, um, uh, my, my mother would actually break up Percocet for me and put in my applesauce and give it to me because I was in such pain. Um, and she would break up half depending on the age I was at, but this was something that was seemed or deemed uh, normal, um, you're in pain, you know, that's something that you just have to go through is that, that is something, however, my pain levels were tremendous for me. Um, And it really put me in a position where, you know, I just had to keep on going. Um, I did not recognize that it was a problem until I got to college, Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland, where I um, had to, you know, do a midterm. Everybody knows midterms and knows how stressed out you can be around midterms. For some reason, Morgan State usually has homecoming, midterm, midterm homecoming. Don't don't ask me why. But that was the thing. So um, for me, I was a speech communications major and for our midterm exams, we actually had to get up and present. So I remember being dressed up and going into uh, the classroom, sitting down. Um, I had just come off my cycle. I had just finished up homecoming week and I was prepared to present my. my, you know, my midterm exam. And for some reason, something just said, you know, go to the bathroom. And I went to the restroom, and I had blood on the back of my dress and I had just finished my cycle. So I didn't understand what was going on, what was happening. And I had to, you know, just gather myself, wrap a sweater around my waist and just go home. And I had to email that's embarrassing. I had to email my um, my professor and my professor. Thankfully, my professor understood the situation and was able to really just work with me. But I, my period didn't stop. Um, so that was the problem for me. And then I went to Mercy Hospital um, and I talked to the gynecologist you know, just gave me some medicine. She did like a pelvis exam, wasn't able to really tell me nothing, but she gave me some medicine just to stop my cycle. And that's what she did. And she recommended that I go find a gynecologist. Uh, Upon finding this gynecologist, that is when things really started um, getting close to me finding out about endometriosis. Um, The Doctor, Doctor Maria K, she explained to me, you know, how your cycles are supposed to be, and she asked me to describe my cycle, and I would tell her, you know, my cycle is, uh, to me, it was normal, so I would say it was, you know, a normal amount of days. Uh, on the beginning of my cycle before it started, I was like, I knew exactly when it was coming on, which was the ovulation period, of course, but my left knee hurt extremely bad. I will have sharp pains in my back. During my cycle, I would have pains in my abdomen, sharp pains. Um, I would get these really sharp chest pains. Um, and then when my cycle was over, I would get pain in my back and then my right leg. She was like, that is not normal. So she was able to do a pelvic exam and she recognized that my uterus was reverted. So that was another symptom that I did not know about. Um, and she told me that because I had a reverted uterus, that that is one of the number one symptoms for women with endometriosis. She told me, you know, what her thoughts were, what endometriosis was. And then she said, in order to diagnose you, we have to have surgery. So I went to John Hopkins, probably about a couple of months later in March, we had the surgery, three incisions. Um, she did everything. you know i didn't recognize that endometriosis was a lifelong journey i didn't recognize that this was something that i needed to change my diet for um and it was just really interesting for me in general to recognize all of these things after the fact so you know march 18th was diagnosed with endometriosis it took about 2 so 3 weeks to heal i was back doing you know whatever it is that i was doing and Next thing you know, August the 28th, 2011 happened, and I realized that this was a very, very serious situation. I decided that morning for some reason that I wanted to be super healthy and go do some exercise around the block. Yes, I want to go run. Yes. Um, And that was my last time ever running. (laughs) I will say that. I went to run around the block. Unfortunately, that actually caused my cysts to recognize it because you don't have a, you don't have like a, uh, a, hey, knock, 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 your cyst's ruptured. You know, there's no notification. (laughs) You just have your body responding very, very weird. So I was taking deep breaths. I was out of breath. I was sweating. I was just so confused. And I was like, you know, I know you don't run, but I don't think you that out of shape. So I decided to get in the shower after, um, well, before I got in the shower, I decided to use the restroom. Then I got in the shower, not recognizing that what was triggering me to have these moments or these spells that I'm about to explain was me urinating. So in the shower, um, the lights get dark. And I'm like, what, the light's going out in the shower? Like, what's happening? I'm like, this is a crazy day. And then I was like, oh, I'm starting to feel weak. You know, so I was like, let me just go to sleep, you know, because they always tell you sleep it off. So I tried to sleep it off. I wrapped myself up in a towel and lo and behold, I passed out on the way to my bedroom and I opened my eyes and I'm looking up at the ceiling. I don't know how long I had been on the floor for. I don't know what happened. I really could have, you know, really hurt myself, but I fell fell straight back. So I just got in the bed. And after that, I ended up passing out one more time. And I said, that's enough. My head missed the corner of the wall by about this much. And I realized that, you know, this is serious. You have to figure out what's going on with your body. So I went to the hospital. And with me going to the hospital, they took me back, they did all of the tests, and they asked me to do a urine sample. And then that's when unfortunately it takes me three tries to ever recognize what's going on with me. So the third time is all the third time is always a charm. I um was providing her a urine sample, and as I was providing, it is this is the reason. I said, oh no, I'm getting ready to pass out. So I'm rushing, trying to, you know, put my name on the cup, fasten it, wash my hands. And I'm walking out, I'm saying, nurse, I'm getting ready to pass out. She was like, no, don't. I said, ma'am, I can't control it. I'm about to pass out. Please put me down. Please let me sit right here. She was like, no, 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 hold on. I don't know what she was thought I was about to hold on to, um, but I sure enough just whoop, boop." And I went down to the ground. My friend was there. She was screaming. Like, and I woke up with shooting pains in my chest, shooting pains in my back. Like, and I'm not going to say that I'm not a crybaby, but it takes a lot for me to cry sometimes. Well, in 2011, and now I cry all the time. It doesn't matter. But then... I was in tears. Like I was just so scared, so frustrated. I didn't know what was going on, you know? Um. So my friend, she called my brother, my friend, Erica, my brother, Robert, his um, girlfriend at the time, they came to the hospital. They checked in on me. My brother um, is, a, is well-versed in anything medicine, medical, pharmaceutical. So that was very great that he was there. That was my support system. And they really looked out for me. So I ended up finding out, that the cyst that ruptured um, left two gallons of blood in my abdomen, right? Which caused me to have those reactions of me passing out. Um, So that is my story. And that's when I realized it's time to get serious about your health. No more playing games, no more fake running around the block. Let's get serious. Let's do some research on endometriosis and figure out what the next step is. Um, And while doing that research, That is when I realized that there was a huge void. You know, there was no representation for African-American women or women of color. Even when I would go into support groups and I would ask these questions, people would unfortunately, attack me and say, you know, well, that's racist. You know, there's no such thing as endometriosis affecting just African-American women. It's everybody. And I was like, well, you know, if it's everybody, then why don't I see African-American women? And unfortunately, because there was a serious misdiagnosis going on for African-American women and women of color. Um, So that is why I started the platform. I really just, Wanted to connect with other women. And then I realized, well, if I want to connect with other women, they probably want to connect with other women. And I need to make sure that nobody feels like I felt the first part of 2012 trying to figure out about endometriosis. I don't want anybody to feel alone. I didn't want anybody to feel attacked. Um, And I just wanted people to get some awareness around it and also show about African American women because i've realized that if if we're not seeing ourselves in ads about endometriosis, if we're not seeing ourselves posted on different platforms in relations to endometriosis, the first thing I'm going to say is, well, that doesn't affect me because I don't see anybody with it. Not realizing, well, you don't see anybody with it because they just don't show representation. Um, So right now we have children that are having their cycles and they could have endometriosis because as we know, as soon as you get your cycle, that is when the process is starting to become the seriousness of of endometriosis or any, you know, women's reproductive health disorder. So that is important for us because we have to educate and we really have to educate medical professionals ourselves. And then we have to educate the youth because how am I supposed to help the youth if I don't know enough about
0: endometriosis? So
1: that's, that's the reason why I started in up black and that's, you know, a little bit of my story.
0: Thank you. Yeah. With every story there is it's a seemingly endless story, right? There's so many nuances to our journeys and so much of a, it impacts us. Like the littlest moment, right? Like you mentioned just your your dialogue, your, your inner dialogue when you started running and feeling ill. It's moments like that that just, they stay with you, right? Exactly.
1: <sighs> when I tell you I have not ran since, i <laughs> I might do a little shuffle with my feet, but I'm not running anywhere. I just, you know, it just doesn't, I don't want to say it's PTSD, but it could be PTSD, but I will walk, you know, I will get on a bicycle, but I will not do, actually I'm not getting on a bicycle because that seems a little heavy too. So I just, you know, I just do the bare minimum. I will stretch and I will do yoga though.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well. With these chronic illnesses, especially when they take a long time to be diagnosed or it's a very difficult journey to being diagnosed I think we all we all have some sort of medical trauma. if you want to call it that or some sort of trauma for sure? Absolutely. I mean there are A lot of pivotal moments in my journey as well when I realized like something is wrong Something is terribly wrong and my life is no longer going to be what I thought it was What actually would you share? Some of your feelings towards your your life and your body, like during those moments, what what was it? Right before you were running, and then what was it afterward? Like, what was that mindset shift? Mindset. Right before, I was
1: like, oh. <laughs> I'm I'm ready. I like literally, I had. I, I It's so crazy that I remember exactly everything. I had avocado um, with my toast. You know, I just was so excited about this healthy new journey that I was getting ready to start on. Um, I was motivated. I was happy. And right after, I was defeated because I just felt like here I am trying to do the right thing, trying to be healthy, trying to take the extra steps. And I just went 15 steps backwards. I ended up in the hospital because I wanted to run around the block to get healthy. That scared me tremendously. And it really put fear. And when I say I don't run, like, I'm so serious. Like if something happened right now and I got to run, I will hide (laughs) because I don't feel like running because I might pass out. I don't know. You know? So it's just like, it really, it really put um, me in a really bad mindset and that's why I thought, it was important to start in a black because sometimes you need that support system. Yeah. And, you, and unfortunately, I couldn't talk to my brother about it. I couldn't talk to my cousins about that. I couldn't talk to my father about it. They didn't understand what I was going through. The only people that knew what I was going through were women that looked like me and dealt with the system of, of endometriosis tearing up their body. You know, and at that time, I didn't know it was as deep as it was. I didn't know how many symptoms um, came with endometriosis. I didn't know. I just, that was the biggest thing. I didn't know. I think that that was the scariest part. There's a, a, a fear factor that comes into place when there's a lack of knowledge around something. When you don't know, it's like, okay, well, we don't know what's getting ready to happen. So... What's next? And I I love to know what's next because I like to prepare myself. Um, And I did not prepare myself for that.
0: There's a reason why they call it being in the dark. And I do not like it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know if everyone's scared of the dark, but I think that's where it was, where are you going with that? It's like, you can't see anything and therefore it's very fearful. And there's some other words I'm sure that would go along with that. But yeah, the lack of, so we have two different, issues colliding here, right? We have a lack of information and awareness and support when it comes to endometriosis, period. And no pun intended. And then we, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> it just, it comes right. up. Um, and then and then we have the same, but for like with people, pe- actually, I'm not even, I'm going to say people of color when it comes to uh, misdiagnoses and like Issues with understanding pain. I want to get into that, um, but especially with women. So we have all that layering on top of each other in this scenario. There's so many layers. There's so yeah. many layers. Um, would you actually? I would. I would really love uh, to hear more about why women of color get misdiagnosed in general, because I think that's really important for a lot of our listeners to hear.
1: Okay, not a problem. So for me, um, and these are my thoughts, definitely not the thoughts of endo black or the thoughts of anybody else. Um, for me in particular, I have noticed these things. And the first one will be this strong black woman. Um, and I don't know what to call it. It's Our mentality, our strong black woman mentality that we have to continue. We have to keep pushing. We have to, you know, keep going. And that was what happened when I was originally diagnosed with endometriosis. I was diagnosed. I had the surgery and I said, okay, I'm done. Back to work. You know, I got to go to work. I have to go to school. I, I have to, I don't have time to be out of work for three weeks because I have to go back to work because I have to make money to pay for the bills that I just got from having a surgery. Um, and you, you don't have time to complain. Um, so I think that that can be the downfall. Unfortunately, as much as it is important for us to be strong, it is also damaging sometimes because what happens, it does not allow us to be vulnerable. And with me um, from the ages of 12, probably up to the ages of 17, with me having the pain that I had, uh, me not talking about that pain, me not disclosing that pain. My mom once told me that it was important to recognize that, uh, your period should not be discussed because that, that's not ladylike. Um, and of course, you know, things have changed in life. However, uh back then, because I did not talk about that, I was not able to talk about it with my friends. I was not able to talk about it with my mom, my aunts, my cousins to compare and contrast, not recognize that yes, my cousins have PCOS or my cousin has early um had to be pushed into early stage menopause because of X, Y, and Z. If we have these conversations, that will open up uh Doorways for us that will open up opportunities for us to have conversations where we're recognizing that there's a problem. You know, well, why are you vomiting with your cycle? Well, why are you, you know, throwing up? Why are you nauseous? Why do you have brain fog? Why are you in such pain? You know, that can cause a big rift. So, that was one of the things the strong black woman mentality, though it is a blessing to us, it could also be a curse. Um, Another point is that. We're not listened to um, and we can be gaslit. So if I'm going to the hospital um, and we talk about this all the time with endo black in general, um, when we have support groups or when we're just talking to the staff or ambassadors where they're in a waiting room, they could be, matter of fact, she just told me one of the ambassadors says she went to the emergency room. She had a problem. She was told to sit there. She sat there For five hours in the emergency room. And when they saw her, they gave her um, some basic pain medication and they told her to go home. And she's actually lucky because they gave her pain medication. A lot of times they don't give you pain medication because they think that for some unfortunate reason that we are there to get pain medication because we're addicted to the pain medication. So we have a stereotype going on where you just assume that we are drug addicts or we're lying or we're not telling the truth. Um, So we're gaslit, we're not listened to, and we're told, unfortunately, that we're crazy, um, which also makes us feel crazy. So then that also makes me not want to go to the hospital, go to the doctor, because I don't have time for you to tell me things that I know are not true with myself. So I'm just going to sit at home and be the strong black woman. So it kind of goes back and forth. Um, Another point is that we, um, and I wrote these down because I want to make sure I get them right for myself. Um, We have a failed, I don't want to say a failed medical system, but we got
0: have big problems. Yeah,
1: we've we honestly, you know, and that can be across the board. That can be with women. That could be with Black people. That could be with anybody. However, specifically for African American women, we have a, a system of uh, OBGYN that was built on false pretense. J. Marion Sims is the father or listed as the father of modern um, gynecology. And I'm sorry, because my earring is falling off, but it's probably because they have to But he is the father of modern day gynecology. And with him being the father of modern day gynecology, he operated on African-American or African enslaved women without anesthesia. And of course, back then, they They cannot give you consent because they were enslaved. Um, So you were doing things to these women without their permission and without anesthesia, which now has translated into black women can deal with more pain. That is just his perception because they didn't have a choice but to deal with the pain because you didn't give them anesthesia. Um, So that whole system of the the distrust and um yeah because that that's terrible I could never imagine that you know um but that that's a clear distrust with the medical field that's a clear distrust with the medical industry and that is not the only thing you have Henrietta, Henrietta Lacks. um you also have the the Holmesburg, uh, PA situation, where um, government agencies were giving pharmaceuticals to uh, people that were in prison at Holmes- in Holmesburg, PA. You have so many situations, such as the syphilis experiment, and we can go on and on and on about stuff that we know, or we can go on and on about stuff that we don't know. But it just shows that there's a there's a distrust. So now you have a situation where I want to go to the hospital. I want to get help, but I don't trust them because of all the stories that I've learned over the years. Plus, J. Marion Sims has already taught medical professionals, especially in OBGYN, that we as Black women don't feel pain, but I'm still going to go because I'm in pain. And then when I get there, you still push me away after I got enough courage to come in here and tell you how I really feel. So then we're in a situation now where we're we're misdiagnosed because we're not being listened to because you don't have proper education or re- relations to African American women and we aren't sharing what's going on with us. So we have three things that are really against us, honestly. So those are those are my thoughts about why we have been misdiagnosed.
0: Yeah, thank you. I, it's just such a vicious cycle. It is. Yes. It is.
1: Is, and it has to be broken. It has to be broken. Um, health equity is, it, it's important. Um, we have to get to a better place where we are listening to women, all women, you know, not just Black women, not women of color, not white women. We have to listen to everyone equally and not allow bias to dictate certain things like even when i went to an african-american doctor who was taught the same things as any other doctor in the same medical industry she i told her i had a situation and For people that don't know, endometriosis can um, have you have irregular cycles. We can also be more prone to UTIs and yeast infections. So, going into uh, the doctors, because I had just moved back from South Carolina, I didn't have an OBGYN at that moment, but I was trying to get one. And, you know, I was like, okay, well, if this works, she will be my OBGYN. And wrong. Um, It didn't work. It didn't work at all. I went. She was like, "Uh, well, have you had a pelvic exam? Have you?" I said, "Well, ma'am, I have a UTI. Everybody knows that if you have a UTI, you just take a urine sample and you dictate what's going on with that. You don't have to do." It. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you what my situation is and what my problem is. She decided to do a pelvic exam because she suggested that I had an STI. She just knew me enough that I had an STI, but you were making a judgment call based off of me. And at the time I had locks based off how I looked, based off my locks, based off me coming in with sweat clothes on. You made a judgment based off how I was dressed, but not based off what I was telling you. I didn't know I was coming into OBGYN to do an interview. I thought I had a doctor's appointment. So you base all these judgments and you just told me that I had an STI. And I told you I didn't. I knew what was wrong with me. I just needed documentation to get the medicine that I needed because I know my body enough. And she specifically told me what I had, did the pelvis exam, probably four or five days later, gave me a call and told me the pelvis exam came back clear. I don't know what's wrong with you thank you. I knew that now I'm paying you for nothing. So I had to go to a new OBGYN. The nurse was mad for me. She was like, why didn't she just do a urine sample? I said, I wish that you were there with me to tell her that.
0: It's like the simplest thing. (laughs) The
1: simplest thing. You want to do a whole pelvis exam, wasting materials. You could have just gave me a urine cup and I could have did a urine sample. I could have been out your way. But, you know, that's how you get negative reviews when you don't listen.
0: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I've hmm, so many moments flashing back through my medical history and especially with UTIs, man. Mm, I got, I don't do so well with those. (laughs) You don't want to be around me when I have a UTI. (laughs) (laughs) Just being honest and just a wee bit crabby, just a wee bit. (laughs) like don't come near me
1: <laughs> please don't oh, i understand uh, yes.
0: ginger, ale. ginger ale good for yourself oh noted uh so i just totally lost my train of thought now <laughs> right distrust more serious topic uh, so oh, there is so much to be said around that word trust when it comes to healthcare, because you know, I I could talk all day about how I've lost trust in health professionals myself, even I am or was sort of a health professional. But at the same time, these health professionals are in a sense, losing trust in us. It doesn't seem like trust, like it's not a word I think people would usually use, but it's, it's this combination of what they're being told and instructed to do and then that what they're seeing with other people and they can't really trust i mean i'm making i'm making some assumptions here but i've spoken to many uh that they don't trust what is right in front of them some of it's that they can't see it's like someone's someone's literally barking at them or in their brain it's like oh i this is what this a uh, superior doctor told me, or this is what it said in the textbook, or like i can I have to impose these labs on them or not. <laughs> and it's just it's so much that they also have to figure out what is what is trust to them as well. Uh, and that's why I always like to play devil's advocate and just at least put it out there. like what were they thinking? What were you thinking? And maybe was there a way that there could have been Uh, There could have been some understanding there, even if you came from different places. And I know it's hard to talk about when you have these medical traumas, you have these moments, again, been there myself many times where you're like, fuck that doctor. (laughs) Like, (laughs) You know, how dare they do that to me? You know, make me feel like I don't know myself. Right. Oh, God. Yeah. Again, so many, so many instances. (laughs) (laughs)
1: We <laughs> think, though, there are amazing doctors, though. There are doctors that you can have those conversations with, and they may not agree with you wholeheartedly, or you can go to them and they'll say, I don't know what's going on. Let me refer you. And I respect that 100%. You can tell me you don't know something. And refer me or tell me you don't know something and do the research to say, let me get back to you in that because I want to make sure I'm right. Let me talk to my colleague about that and let me see what we can do or how we can help you because I haven't heard of this before. You know, because I think endometriosis is to the point where nobody still knows anything about it. Every single day, there are new developments. There's four different types of endometriosis, there's four different stages of endometriosis. And none of that helps. Like, that doesn't mean anything. Like, yeah, we it sounds like it's good information, but it doesn't determine the amount of pain you have. It doesn't determine um, how many symptoms you're going to have. It doesn't determine that you your endometriosis won't shift into a different type of endometriosis. So you just have to really kind of roll with the punches with your doctor so finding that doctor that listens to you and respects you and says you know what girl we got to figure this out together you know because I think that is more important than anything so you have those doctors that do that and they're not meaning many at all they're not many not many at all however there are those doctors that say we have to do better. And of course we have, you know, a new generation of doctors that are coming out each year. And I think that that's amazing as well. So.
0: Yeah. Got uh, oh, to them. impact them while they're young. That's what I'm trying to get them to do. That's yeah. What I'm,
1: I'm not, I'm not a medical professional either. So I can't tell you, go be a doctor, go be an OBGYN real quick. So you can learn by the time I'm old enough, it's not even going to count. I'm Okay. <laughs>
0: I'm trying to do my part where I can with human care slash, I guess, my husband who's a doctor and trying to impart some, some alternative perspectives when I can.
1: Okay. That's
0: It's like, it's a great thing about us. And it's also obviously a touchy subject because I, I, <laughs> I never wanted to sound like I'm not saying you're not good at these things. You are a brilliant, compassionate physician, but These are what people with chronic conditions go through. So try and see from our eyes. I even had a discussion with him like that today. I've actually spoken to him about endometriosis quite a bit because I interviewed a bunch of women with endo like a year ago. And pretty much everyone told me at some point they had unexplained ab- abdominal pain, right? Or that area. You know how like you could have a stomach ache and it's really your period if it's just low, you don't really know a lot of the time.
1: I don't know what's happening.
0: Yeah, it's like this area hurts. And so my husband's a, a pediatric gastroenterologist, which means he's a kid poop doctor. Um, but, in, but in general, you know, he <laughs> kids come to him because they have pain in their bellies, you know, quote unquote. And sometimes those kids are like 15 year old girls and who have this unexplained pain. And there's many reasons why that could be. It could definitely be uh, a gastrointestinal issue. It could also be referred pain from stress. I mean, absolutely like, which is legit pain but it doesn't come from something gastrointestinally being wrong. It comes from stress. I know I've been one of them myself. Or it could also be something like endometriosis that's just in the same area, but has nothing to do with the gastrointestinal system. And so I said to him, I don't think, I mean, 11% of women have it, right? In America, at least. And it's not gonna be a lot of people that come to him. But I said, but they could be. And you never know. You never know. And he he can't determine whether it's endo, but he can determine whether it's not something that's gastrointestinal, and acknowledge or invalidate their experience and be like, okay, I, it's not anything that I personally can do about. However you are experiencing this pain, we don't know what it is. Here are different possibilities and here are people you should go talk to next.
1: And that's really it. That's all you can do, but that is the best thing you can do, honestly. So I, I totally understand. I, for me, I think about it, but I don't think about it enough. The fact that these people went to school practically their entire lives to become medical professionals and here I am telling you you don't know what you're doing so I know that that could be offensive you know but it's like I'm also living with this so I need you to listen to my perspective so that you can help from your perspective. We just have to come together a little bit more than what we've done. And I, I see it happening more. I see the doctors, like conversations like that that you had with your husband are so beneficial because it's, it gets us to a place where, one, we're comfortable with having these conversations about what things could possibly be. The more we talk, the more we're learning, the more we're researching, the more we're like, okay, I I see your perspective and I see where you're coming from. Well, let me see what I can do. So I think that that is the most amazing thing we can do is just keep communicating and having these
0: discussions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, being able to see from one another's perspective is like the at least the best first step is ask asking yourself, what is this other person? What could this other person be seeing and experiencing? So again, like us thinking about what the doctors are experiencing is also really important. It's so easy for us and understandable for us to get defensive and be like, how dare you tell me I don't know my body or I don't know what I'm talking about or how dare you dismiss me and speak to me a certain way. None of that's acceptable. It's absolutely not acceptable. But at the same time, it's like, maybe we can connect with our doctors better if we also try and see through their eyes for a second and be like, all right, I don't know who you saw before me. I don't know how many patients you've seen like me or not like me. Um, Again, not an excuse, but you could be having a shitty day and taking it out on me.
1: (laughs) Well, they seem like they are having a shitty day sometimes. Yeah,
0: sometimes they're having a shitty day. Again, not an excuse, but sometimes that happens because they are human. so I can't re- I think this got brought up. I don't know. I spoke about this recently. I'll talk about it now again because I thought it was really fascinating. I was watching a TED Talk that was about uh medical what's it called? malpractice or like um or a, a doctor who just <laughs> was so mad at the healthcare system and how they teach you about how you should view your capabilities in terms of being per, like being perfect anyway long story short is we were thinking about basketball oh, sorry I'm not doing well with this uh he was comparing it to sports along. he was comparing it to sports and he said maybe i'll in the show notes i'll include the link to this ted talk when i find it uh comparing it to baseball a batting average of like 300 or something it was like i know like three to ten is phenomenal like that's known as a phenomenal batting average. Like every three out of ten in in uh, in baseball. But think about that equivalent for a doctor. If you only got three diagnoses right out of ten, or three mm-hmm. surgeries done well out of ten, like that's unacceptable. For a doctor, it's ten out of ten. They expect ten out of ten, out of ten, out of ten. N- anything below that is unacceptable, right? And. Uh, I just thought that was so fascinating because of the difference in expectations. Doctors have, like, they are, everyone believes that they have to be perfect. And, you know?
1: <sighs> yep. When you said everybody believes they have to, that makes sense. Like, you went to school for it all your life. Why would you not be perfect at it? Because the, the moment you're not perfect, that it, somebody's going to point it out, right? that is going to be the problem.
0: Yeah. And unlike baseball, you know, someone won't die from it. (laughs) Like, sorry. I mean, opposite. (laughs) Could possibly, you know, like, And, and hopefully that's, it's not the case most of the time. And again, I'm not saying that, oh, it's totally fine if doctors mess up. Like, no, it's, I mean, there are repercussions, but at the same time, it is fine quote unquote in a sense because they are humans mm-hmm. and they're not it's not always going to be a 10 out of 10 hopefully it's like um, a 9 something out of 10
1: even robots mess up yeah <laughs> so you know i just we just have to do a better job of communicating overall everybody and we and another thing i do want to point out like i said we don't share enough um so when we go to medical professionals and we are telling them what's wrong we have to tell them everything Mm. that's why they ask questions if they ask you do you smoke marijuana tell them they're not about to tell your job hipaa you you know I'm just tell them you know whether or not they judge you off of that you now that's a whole different topic however you have to tell because there are medicines that you cannot mix with other medicines that's why they ask you what medications are you taking if, if you're throwing up tell them you know it may not be connected but if you're throwing up and you have brain fog and you're nauseous every Friday of every two two months or every three weeks, that's weird. That is very weird. You need to tell somebody that. You have to tell them everything that's going on with you. So you just have to make sure you're, and, and this is not a, uh, oh, well, I, I don't feel comfortable. If you don't feel comfortable, you need to find a doctor. That's really all there is. But you have to tell your doctors everything so they can they can help because endometriosis is a whole body disorder. It's not just the wound, it's not just your uterus. It messes with your mind. It messes with your your knees, your joints, your your bones, um, the temperature of your body. You know, you may see bruises on your body that you didn't even know you had. So you, you just have to
0: be aware of certain things. So and I think to even take it a step further, it's not just, my, my personal opinion is that it's not just what's going on with you medically, but also what might be going on in your life. Something, uh, so for instance, well, I was trying to relate to to your story. Let's say a hypothetical here. Let's pretend you went to the doctor, you went running and nothing, you didn't pass out after running, but you felt sick and you just didn't really think anything of it. But but you went to the doctor later, yeah. Obviously that was not the case. But you know, you it wasn't that big a deal at the time. You were like, oh, you know, I don't feel well. So you go to the doctor a month later, and there's other things going on that have now told you. Maybe you passed out at a different time, and you're like, clearly I'm sick, um, much worse than I thought. But you don't tell your doctor about the running because you don't see it as necessarily connected. But if he asked you about your life outside, I said he. I don't know why he, um, he, (laughs) in this case, uh, asked you about your life outside of the specific symptoms you were talking about, the specific instance that you brought up. Maybe he'd want to know about your health in general, what you do to exercise, what do you do for fun? And when you start exploring a person's life in greater detail outside of just like, what's the medical history, you can start to learn more. There's more context uh, when it comes to the diagnostic process. So. Maybe that would have told him more after you're running. i'm not I'm not sure. I'm pulling this out of my ass, <laughs> but
1: <laughs> I mean, it's important because that goes to like just for that example. Are you active? Yeah, <laughs> that is a question that every doctor should be asking. You should be telling your doctor, yes, I do yoga. No, I don't do yoga. Yes, I'm active. Yes, I exercise. Absolutely, I don't exercise because that will help them figure out what the next yeah. steps are. Well,
0: the wild <laughs> one. Yeah. If the, asking the exercise question, if based on whatever your answer is, the why you do that or why don't you do that, that could lead to very important information. You are more than just what's on your chart. You are more than just a list of symptoms. You are a person with a whole life and also your stress, whatever's going on in your life, if there are emotional things going on, those have an enormous impact.
1: You know stress actually causes um some serious things stress causes a lot of problems a lot of problems so i think people you know we just have to get in a place where we're talking and telling people and not holding back on uh the important
0: um information what does um if you had to give some like maybe specific tips on what it looks like to be vocal Uh, To be an advocate, like an equal advocate, what does that look like for you? Oh, it's so fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it, It looks like just one, making sure you're taking care of yourself. And I never recommend advocacy for anybody that is not focused on themselves first. Because it is not an easy process. It is very overwhelming sometimes. Um, and you have to make sure that you're helping yourself because how are you going to help anybody else if you aren't helping yourself? Um, making sure that I am 100%, uh, well most of the time I'm 75% and that's endo related. So that's, you know, nothing I can do about it, but it really looks like me just talking with other people, me listening to other people's stories, me um, sharing other people's stories. I think that's the biggest thing because my story for me, I've only had two surgeries. I know people that have had multiple surgeries I know somebody that has personally had 17 surgeries. Ooh. So I, I feel like for me, I have to take the moments that I have available um, and use that. And I have to maximize that and help everybody. You know, not everybody, but because that is overwhelming, but just making sure that women are getting the information that they need, that they are looking for their doctors. Um, making sure that they're going to the right doctors, even just simple things like, you know, we host a couple of conversations, dialogues and discussions with endo black. We had a woman, uh, share that she was on four different birth controls. And I said, no, that's crazy. That is crazy. I need to find you another doctor. Like that's not okay. Um, so we have to make sure that we have these conversations. And I think that's the biggest, um, That's the biggest tool for any type of advocacy and being willingly able to share information. Now, we'll say, when you inbox me, please say hello. Say hi, because I am human and I want to say hey sometimes. You know, don't just message and start shooting at the questions and all of that. But, you know, we just, it's not even just me. There's so many women that are doing advocacy. We have to utilize the the strengths that we have to make awareness for ourselves and for women that look like us and for women that don't look like us and there was an opportunity um, to what to I'm trying to word it correctly so I won't share the place there was a situation that happened and I had the opportunity to ignore somebody or make a decision I had an endo sister reach out. And she had a complaint and she said that she was looking up information on a endo specialist. And she stumbled across this clinic uh, that had risk factors of endometriosis. And the risk factors stated um, women of white race, uh, women with brunette hair, tall women and then it was another, it was another thing, but it was like a lot of risk factors listed. And she was like, so hurt by it. Like, I could have just been like, you know, it's going to be okay. But I didn't. I took that information. I just told everybody. And that's something that we have to recognize that people listen. We are in 2021. People will listen to your your complaints. And, you know, I'm not the type of person that will bash any medical professional because I do not have a medical degree, nor do I have the money to go to school for getting a medical medical degree. However, what I'm going to do is use my voice. So I shared with other endo advocates. We posted about it. We told them how upset we were. People were sending emails. I probably, you know, gave them about two days to change it. They changed it on a Sunday within six hours. Matter of fact, no, not within six hours. I think she reached out to me at 2 p.m. It was changed by 6 or 7 p.m. on a Sunday. Wow. On a Sunday, which meant that they listened to our concerns. They heard what we, you know, what we said. They, They made the decision and they changed it. So that right there shows you that one people listens to what you're saying and advocacy is important because she wasn't in a place to do that. She had been hurt by it. She could not push through the day because she was already in pain from endometriosis. That's why she was searching for an OBGYN or endospecials or endometriosis clinic. She reached out to me and I used the The tools that I had, the skills that I had, the connections that I had to change something and they listen to us. So that's really what advocacy looks like. It does not look like, you know, beating somebody over the head multiple times with the same thing over and over. If they change it, leave them alone. We're not here to attack anybody. I'm not here to tell you, you don't know how to do your job. I'm I'm interested in partnering with medical professionals so we can get to the root of the problem. I'm interested in bettering the system um, so that we all can feel better, you know, because I know it's stressful for specialists and OBGYNs when their clients are complaining on their reviews. I know that's not good. You know, so I, I want us to get to a place where we're in a better situation um, so that we can be helpful to each other and so that we can heal properly. And people can get the correct information and stop making up stuff, too. I think that's important.
0: That would be nice.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that because people make up stuff all the time. And I'm like, no,
0: that's not true either. But OK. Well, Partnership partnership is key here indeed, Thank indeed. You for that. so with endo black right now can you tell us uh some more specifics about what you guys are doing Ooh. all about it i'm glad you
1: asked yes um so currently we have an ambassadors program and we just wrapped that up so we have about 22 new ambassadors and we have currently 12 ambassadors, so that's going to, of course, grow up. Um, we have an amazing staff. We have a manager of development, Chantel Thomas, who does amazing um, donor relations coordinator, which is Natalie um, Birmingham. Solomon. I'm trying to make sure I say her name all the way correctly because I know people do not mess with that hyphen. Um, (laughs) We also have Julia Flowers, who's an ambassador liaison. Uh, We have um, Andrea Stevens, who's our program manager. Crystal Grims, who is our executive assistant, who does amazing at what she does. Nina Miller, who does our digital marketing managing. Um, And we have some other amazing staff members that are coming on. We are getting the social media uh, interns. We're getting a graphic design intern. We're looking to connect with um, colleges so we can possibly bring on staff that are, you know, interns at colleges because I want to make sure that we connect with them. Um, We also have Mocktails and Cocktails, which is something that is a program where we just talk about a certain topic. And we have our host, uh, which is, of course, to me, and then we have the special guests, whether it's you know chef Radisha, who actually was on probably in, I believe June, who discussed food. Um, She's a chef in New York. She discussed her food diet, what um, works for her, what is a good item, what's not a good item. We also have Andrea Stevens, who actually is the founder and owner of Genesis Juice. Um, She juices. So she shared information about juicing and she actually did like a juicing um, while we were on the live. So that was amazing to see. Um, we had Sharika uh, McGee, who is uh, the founder and owner of Red Rose Natural, who is also our partners. They came on, they talked about skin care, they talked about, you know, hair care um, and just shared the information. Because as we know, sometimes with endometriosis, you may suffer from hair loss or you may suffer from hair loss because of the stress. Um, we also have issues with like uh acne because of, you know, hormone balance and things like that. So she shares so much information um, about what ingredients were good and what ingredients were not good. And then we also have Daya Bryant, who is actually the founder and owner of Holistic Holistic LLC Shop. Um, it is basically a sex toy shop, but she will be talking about sex and endometriosis and how, uh, you use products the healthy way and making sure that we are not doing things that are harmful to our body. So we always have really great topics. These don't happen um, every week. They actually happen once in every blue moon because again, we have endo, so we have to make sure that we're all on the same page. Most of our guest speakers have endo for the most part as well. Um, so I talked about the mocktails and cocktails. i talked about the ambassadors program. We also have info newsletter the info newsletter, where you can subscribe on our website. Um, You can check out our Instagram that has the link in the bio as well. But what that is, is basically, um, and it's a play on words. So it's E-N-F-O, info newsletter, where you just learn information about endometriosis. We share updates on endo black, what we're doing, what we have going on, but we also share um, a sister, endo sister of the month. Uh, We share what she does how she does it, how she manages it. We also have blogs um, that we share. We just recently did an article not too long ago about, um, I don't want to say her name incorrectly, but you know, making, chronic, making fashion chronically look good. We talked about fashion because as we know, we have bloating. Um, and sometimes when you're bloated, your outfits don't look as cute. So she wears the cutest outfits and she finds the things that fit her the way she wants them to fit with or without being bloated. So that was amazing. Um, So that's some of the things that we have going on for Endo Black. Of course, we're still looking to partner with people. We currently have about six partners. Like I said earlier, we have Red Rose Naturals. We have Akinis LLC, which is a um, business that focuses on skincare. We have C-Main Health. They have dietary supplements. We have Juna, which is a CBD company. We also have um, Kush Queen, which is another CBD company. And then we have October Lotus, which is a company that focuses on teas and Yoni Yoni Stems and Reiki and a whole bunch of other stuff that I'm not familiar with, but she does a great job and she is our endo sister. Um, We also do talks on Clubhouse, which is a new app, but we're going to utilize it to the best of our ability and we just talk and it's more so like of a support group but we do have topics but anytime you get a chance to talk with Endo Sisters we can talk about food and the next thing you know, we are talking about relationships. So, you know, it, it depends on how the night is. We could be talking about so many different things, but we do have that support group for women. Um, So if you have an iPhone, you're able to go ahead and connect on Clubhouse um, with us. We would love for you to join us. It's just super, super amazing. Um, It's great to hear amazing stories. And I, I do want us to understand and remember that endometriosis is a journey, but it is a lifelong journey and we don't have to be sad. So we try to do these events because we don't want people sad. We don't want people um, stuck in their feelings. We don't want people being depressed. We don't want people to feel those emotions because at the end of the day, yes, we have endometriosis, but we still have our life. So we have to be um and I, I know I want to make sure I'm careful with what I'm about to say. We have to make sure that we push through. And I know that that is difficult for a lot of women, uh, but it is possible. It is possible. I know there are women that are struggling, but if you, it's just all about your mindset sometimes. And people really don't like when I say that. However, your mind can control so much. You have to think Better first, and that was the biggest step that I did for my endometriosis journey. Was I changed my mindset about how I felt? I I was knocked down in 2011. You couldn't even tell me nothing. I was like, I don't want to do nothing. Leave me alone. I'm not no. But as soon as I recognized that there were other women that looked exactly like me, that were dealing with this, and I'm not saying suffering because I'm not a sufferer of endometriosis. I lived through endometriosis. But because there are other women that look like me, that feel the way I feel, I realized that I don't have time to be sad. We got to keep moving because we all got this situation and we all have to put in work to make sure that we raise awareness for babies that are younger than us. I'm nine-year-olds because there are nine-year-olds that unfortunately have their cycle. There are six-year-olds that have cycles. There are seven-year-olds that have cycles. Um, And that's scary. To me, so we have to, you know, do discussions. So we have the mocktails and cocktails, where we have those discussions. We have clubhouse, uh, we have the ambassadors program, um, we have the info newsletter, and then we have so many other things that are coming out. By the time this comes out, we will have been um, completed our our table conference, and our table conference is a conference that is dedicated to our uh, advocates and allies. Um, this is standing on the front lines and this is my baby. I'm so excited for it. I, I just cannot even, I cannot even hold off on it, but this literally will be the first ever African-American led endometriosis conference. So I'm so proud of this. I'm so excited. It will be March 19th through the 21st. I literally just said, I forgot we were live. I forgot this is not a recording, (laughs) but by the time, (laughs) (laughs) so many, I'm sorry, but yes, it is on March the 19th through the 21st of 2021. Please save the date. It is going to be so, so amazing. Uh, This is going to be something to remember. And of course, it will be virtual, but this is an annual conference. So know that when outside opens back up, we're going to have fun. So this is just the beginning. I'm so, so excited. Um, and those are some of the things that we have. If anybody's interested in partnering us, partnering with us, anybody's interested in collaborating with us, anybody's interested in supporting us, we are all ears. We want to connect with every body out there. I'm super excited. I love the support that we have received over the past year um, in the middle of a pandemic when people were going through their own situations. So that to me was amazing. So I'm just super excited. And that's what we have going on with Endo Black. And I just hope uh, that everybody is able to join us. Um, Mocktails and Cocktails is on February the 12th with Day Bryant. Like I said, it's uh, Mocktails and Cocktails. Let's talk about sex and endo. That is on February the 12th at 7 p.m. If you're interested, we are on Instagram. Click it and you can go to it. Um, Just register. It is a donation based uh, event because, of course, we're a nonprofit. So, you know, we're just trying to get ourselves together. Uh, but yes, if you're interested, reach out. Email is info at endoblack So I hope I covered everything. I know that was a lot,
0: but oh, but thank you for sharing. I should have like, I should have asked earlier. Uh, <laughs> I love everything that you're you're doing. Uh, thank you for as a as just a woman with chronic illness, as a woman, <laughs> as a person. <laughs> thank you uh, for everything that you're putting out there, and. Uh, those years ago taking a moment to shift your mindset to hey I gotta do something about this.
1: Yeah. Um my mom, she once told me she said, if if there's a if there's a void, you fill it. So instead of me complaining and doing all this, I decided to just do it. Because no, I don't I don't want to say no one else was going to do it, but I didn't want to wait. Um so I did it. Uh, my mom also told me uh, that if you want something done right, do it yourself. So those are two uh, things that I, I literally live by because that has saved me. Um, that has, because recognizing that even with the medical industry and all these things, putting these things into perspective, changing how I eat, changing my mindset, that was because what my mom said. Yes, I was down and out. For a little bit, I re- I really was, and I'm not gonna act like endometriosis does not have a way on your mental because it definitely does. And even still to this day, when I go to certain places, if I go to the hospital, if I go to the doctors' offices, and they say things, I have to sit in my thoughts and bite my tongue because once I start, I don't know when I'm gonna finish. And I recognize that not everybody. is aware of endometriosis the way I am. So I have to take a seat back because I cannot demean somebody else because of their lack of knowledge. My job is to teach you. My job is to educate you, not to make you feel less than, not to demean you or not to make you um, upset. You know, even a woman told me, I, I said something at the beginning of the year, oh God, at the beginning of last year, because it's clearly 2021, um, that I was going through something and I didn't recognize it. I, I had endo since 2011 and I was going through new symptoms and I literally had nausea, vomiting, brain fog, and migraines January February and March, back to back. And when I went to the hospital in January, I said to the lady, uh, the nurse, I, and I gave the nurse probably overwhelmed her, and she seemed like she probably was new, so she went to go get the head nurse. The head nurse came in, and I said, "I want a pregnancy test. Um, I want the flu uh, test. I, I want the bronchitis test. I want. I just started asking. She was like, "Well, are you active? I said, no, but give me the test because that's what I asked for because I've been throwing up. Now I don't understand why I'm throwing up. I need to roll stuff out for myself to feel confident that that's not what it is. And then I can figure out the next step. Even the nurse said to me, I said, I have endometriosis. So I don't know if this is something in relation to me being sick or if this is the end of. And I said, you know, I'm nauseous. Um, I have migraines. She was like, endometriosis is in the womb. And I stopped, and I looked at her, and I said, I'm going to just say, okay, because I I know you don't know, but that's fine, and I'm going to just say, okay, because it's not just in the womb, but I'm going to say, okay. Please send me the doctor in. And that was all I said, because it just I was already mad. I was already mad. I was already irritated. I was sick. I felt like crap. I had been throwing up all morning I'm telling you what's going on with me and you're telling me it's endometriosis in the moon but if I'm asking that then clearly I know something that you don't know. Let's figure it out together. But you try to tell me something that I don't girl get out. Get out
0: <laughs> sorry <laughs> girl,
1: don't do that to me, uh uh-uh, uh because I will be mad. So that, yeah that that can be a lot. That can be a lot. Thanks oh and she was black oh so yeah. it, it goes back to it doesn't it does not matter the color of your doctor i know it's important to have representation but it's way more important to see a doctor that knows what they're talking about
0: yeah first. and who sees you as a person regardless of color first and foremost first yeah uh Lauren, thank you so much for sharing your story, for sharing Endo Black with us for sharing your insights. And also, I really I'm so happy to hear that you are someone who who really does look at it from all sides because it can be really hard coming from a community where we're all we're all kind of uh, well, to to put it bluntly treated like shit. <laughs> <laughs> in the medical community but as we it's said, it's like it's a hard. layer sometimes uh and just thank you for still having such a positive outlook and a can-do mindset it's needed it's yeah. really needed I,
1: I think that's the the only way to go honestly being positive being optimistic i know life gets hard but living in, in depression and living in fear and living in, um, anger does more harm to your body than living in hopefulness or being optimistic. So, you know, sometimes you just got to let things roll off you like water, just let it roll off you like water and just let it flow. And, you know, to me, it is what it is. I mean, I, I can't even say it enough. Like it is what it is and I'm going to keep on moving. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If, um, we don't figure it out, we don't figure it out, but I'm going to try, you know, I'm going to try to help as many people as I can because even in itself, me helping other people is helping me because my endometriosis is changing. You know, I've had allergies. I've, right before I was diagnosed, I had allergies, which came out of nowhere. And I think that that was the breaking moment. In 2010, I had allergies um, to food that I ate all the time. To, to, what was it? Pineapples. Yeah, Pineapples and grapefruit. I used to, I'm a little weird kid. Sometimes I used to get the containers, the full container and just snack out of it. But I ended up having allergies to all of the fruits that I love and not recognizing it then, but I've recognized it now that I'm just allergic to pesticides. I'm not allergic to the fruit. I'm not allergic to citrix. Uh citrix, sorry, that's citrus. Citrix is a portal that I used to use in my job. Citrus is what I'm trying to say. Um but You know, it's all about research and having those conversations. My endometriosis changed what I could eat, changed what I can endure. 2011 is when I was diagnosed. 2015 is when I started endo black. 2020 is when I got some new symptoms. (laughs) So endometriosis is forever changing. It's forever growing. And just like we're, I mean, because we're also getting older, things are going to change with our body anyway. Mm -hmm. So, to think that endo isn't going to change is also crazy. So, connecting women and connecting myself with these women and having these conversations, I even in this year alone, I had bruises on my inner thighs. And I was like, it's a pandemic. I didn't go nowhere. Like, what? what? Where did this come from? So, I just happened to ask, do y'all suffer with bruises like this? Took a They're like, yeah. get these all the time i was like what where come i don't know i just know i get them so now that's something else that goes along with endometriosis we just randomly get bruises and you just keep on moving you know so we have to get to a place where we keep these conversations going where we are talking and then put these things on paper so then we can start lobbying doing regulations policies so we can talk to the people that represent us in Congress so we can get some things in play so we can figure out what are ingredients in these uh pads, sanitary napkins that people keep using that aren't healthy for children which could be causing more harm <laughs> but that's a whole nother podcast so I'm gonna calm down but yeah, <laughs> you know how I just started I'm sorry but We just have to start these conversations because it's so, so important to figure out what's happening, how these ingredients, pesticides, um, BHA, uh, all all of these ingredients that are in our products, are in our food, that are in everything we use can hinder us more than helping us. So we, we just have to have these conversations
0: more often. Thank you amen to that I don't know why I want to say amen but amen I mean
1: because I just went to church so.
0: <laughs> thanks so much for coming on today Lauren yes
1: of course and thank you again for having me on your platform I'm I'm super excited um that you shared this and I love what you do and I love your podcast and I'm I'm so excited thank you again
0: Yay. The Human Care Podcast is part of the Invisible Not Broken Podcast Network, a network that includes several chronic illness, disability, and health-related podcasts, including Explicitly Sick, hosted by Monica Michelle, Discomfort Zone, hosted by Jason Herderick, and of course, the original Invisible Not Broken Podcast. We absolutely love feedback. Love, 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 love Feedback and connecting with you one on one or within our Invisible Not Broken podcast community. So please reach out to us anytime. We're open to topics, critique, you name it. This is a podcast created by us for you. You can find information about all of our network podcasts, community, and how to contact us all on invisiblenotbroken.com. You can also find us on social media platforms through the handles Invisible Not Broken and Human Care underscore podcast. That's it, everyone. Thanks for listening and being a part of our mission to transform healthcare into human care.